Hey, Jacob's World Podcast, glad you're listening to us this week. This week is really an important message because we're going to put some things on your radar that maybe you're not aware of, but things that every follower of Christ, every person really just needs to know. Any person of goodwill, I think, is going to be deeply impacted by this week's message and this week's service, so I'm glad you're listening. Go ahead and check it out as we talk about the church persecuted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we pray today for the Tree of Life Synagogue, for uh, that temple in which sons and daughters of Abraham met today to gather for a naming ceremony for a baby. Father, at that temple, um, just something terrible happened. And Father, we just want to lift up the people who are part of that community. We want to lift up um, friends, family, those who have lost We want to pray your mercy and your blessing upon them. And Father, we want to take a step back and we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray, Father, for our nation that, Father, has been full of a lot of anger and hatred and judgment and division. And we want to pray that you would give us mercy. Uh, We don't deserve it, but we need it. And so we would ask you, Father, to do something just unexpected, something beautiful in terms of healing and reminding us what an amazing place we get to live, what an amazing time, uh, amazing freedoms we have. And Father God, we may, re- may we realize we have so much in common, and may you just bring a healing to our land, and especially to those who are grieving this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the message that I have for you this weekend is one, you know, we, we prepare these months and months in advance. It does seem like God in his providence has put several things together to speak to us, a very important message about uh, one of the seven churches in the book of the Revelation. And before we do, I do want to let you know, uh, being aware of the times that we live in, just so you understand, uh, we at Jacob's Well have a security plan. Uh, We have had a security plan for a while. We've been working on it for over a year with professionals who are in the industry of protection. And over this summer, we had about 30 or 40 individuals, some staff, uh, some individuals, uh, some with military backgrounds, some with police backgrounds, who've gone through some extensive training in how to de-escalate situations, how to recognize dangers. And just so you know, in our services on weekends and on uh, Wednesday nights, We do have armed people in the building, and uh, I never thought as a pastor uh, we would have those situations, but it is the world that we live in. It's why we do children's registration, and you may get frustrated with the little machines, parents, and all those kinds of things, but it is about safety. It is about making this a safe place for people to come and know that they can take steps, security cameras and all kinds of things like that. We don't publish the details of our security plan. If you think about that, there's some obvious reasons we don't do that. But we do have an extensive security plan, and I wanted you to know about that, particularly this weekend. Again, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about these things in the week that we're talking about the church we're looking at. You remember we're in the book of the Revelation, and we're looking at the first three chapters. And in the first three chapters, we have the glorified Christ just showing up. And he shows up in a way that we don't talk a lot about him. He shows up with power and glory. He comes in strength. He doesn't come whispering into the world like he did the first time. He comes roaring into the world, and his face is like the sun. His voice is a voice that everybody's going to hear, and every eye is going to see him, even those who pierce him. And he comes with feet that are are able to trample evil and his enemies, and, and he's coming not just... 
to bring salvation to those who know him and love him, but he's coming to judge the living and the dead. This is a Jesus who we're called to take seriously. And it says that he comes holding a message, seven stars uh, in his right hand. And, and each star represents a messenger with a message for his churches. And, and he comes walking among the lampstands. And you remember we've been saying that those lampstands represent, represent the church. And it's a picture of light and spirit and, and insight and how each one of those churches has a lampstand, but that lampstand can be taken away. And if that lampstand gets taken away, well then you're left with a group of people who maybe gather, maybe they have a church building, but they're really some kind of a club or historical society or some something other than a church. And, and you remember how this Jesus wants to help us understand that he walks among the lampstands. He wants us to understand that he has something to say to his churches. He has something to say to us individually, and he has something to say to us as a community. And so we should come to church, we should come to worship with a high degree of seriousness, with intentionality, with just this understanding that I'm here expecting God to say something to me. And he can say all kinds of things. He could say a word of correction. He could say a word of affirmation. He could speak in in a little way unexpected that could change the direction of your life. He could speak in a way that just encourages you on the path, path that he's on. And, 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 and so the understanding is that he's going to speak. We just expect him to speak, and we're learning to hear his voice. Now, we, we started looking at the first church last week. We looked at the church of Ephesus, and that was the church that was in danger of having its lampstand taken away because it had lost its first love. Now, this was a church that was doing a lot right, but the thing that they had lost is they had lost this love. Now, now, what we see this week is that we're looking at another church, the church of Smyrna. And, and, and again, just to remind you, so you understand um, just a little bit about how to study these, these, these seven churches, that that represent a historical church in the time of the writer John, but also has a message for all churches in all ages, including for Jacob's Well 2018 in the Chippewa Valley. And and, and this second church is is a special church. It's a church that's just a beautiful church. Um, and, and, And what we see is that there's a formula that is followed in speaking to all seven of these churches. It's important for us to remember this. So, so what we see, go ahead and put that formula up there uh, uh, back in the media. Um, and what we see is that there's a revelation about the Lamb. That is to say that Jesus, the one speaking, is going to say something about himself. And what he's going to reveal about himself is going to be connected with that first vision we had of him, but it's also going to be super relevant for the message of that church. You're especially going to see that today. And then there's a word of encouragement. There's here, you're doing some things that are right. This is good, this is good, this is good, and, and just words of affirmation. And then there is, is, as a pattern, a word of correction. But this is the thing not so good. This is the thing that, that, that is not just, you know, not so good. But if you don't get this big thing straightened out, it's a spiritual matter of for your church, life and death. And so the words of correction need to be taken very seriously. And then there's a word of warning. The word of warning that comes, you know, if you don't pay attention to the, 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 the correction, here, here's what you can expect. And then there's an admonition to listen. Every church, he says, to the one who has ears, let them listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so this is a call for all of us to be attentive to the Lamb. And then there's a promise of reward, an unbelievable, mind-blowing promise for everybody, listen now, who overcomes. This is an admonition to remember that the one who endures till the end will be saved. The one who overcomes. And the overcoming is not us overcoming so that we earn our place with God. The overcoming is an indication, it's an evidence that the faith we've been putting our faith in, our trust in, is real faith. Now, we we come to this church of Smyrna, and Smyrna is, is a church 
church that is going to experience persecution. This is a church that is going to go through the fire. And this is a church that represents the reality that at certain times throughout history, there are times when the church comes under special fire. Sometimes it's because of where they're at. Sometimes because of a stand they need to take. Sometimes because of a political situation. Sometimes because of a power play by evil men who have those powers. Sometimes because there's another religious group that comes in and feels threatened by the message of Christ. Sometimes, sometimes it's because there is a perversion of the Christian truth. And people mix that up with their power. And sometimes Christians have persecuted other Christians. And so this thing of persecution is a very real thing. Now, here in America, it's easy not to notice, right? It's easy to think, well, you know, I guess that happened way back, you know. The Romans fed some folks to lions, but we got that out of our system a long time ago. What we're going to see this weekend is that that's not the case at all. So let's go ahead and look at this message that's being given to this church in Smyrna. And it starts out with a revelation about the Lamb. It says this, it says, To the angel of the church at Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last. Look at this. Who died and came back to life. Who died and came back to life. Now this is super important because the word he's going to speak to in this church of Smyrna are some people who are actually going to be called to die for their faith. He is writing to this church, this church to some people who are actually going to pay a price of of suffering, of torture, of disenfranchisement, of ridicule, of injustice, simply because they know and they love Jesus and they're not willing to to compromise that. He says, listen, I want you to understand, Smyrna, I am someone who has tasted death. I know what it is to feel that panic of not being able to breathe. I know what it's like to recognize that this day is my last day. I know what it's like to fear that cup, to ask my father, take it away. I don't want to drink it, and and not my will, but your will. This is the Jesus who understands the sting of death. He understands what it means to suffer, to be bullied. He understands what it means to be rejected and persecuted and to be treated unjustly to be tortured to the point of death. And so this revelation of himself as the glorified Christ is also the very human Christ who says, I know what it is to bleed. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to call out, I thirst. And Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the Jesus who understands what it means to be persecuted. Now he starts off with his church of Smyrna with with a strong Word of encouragement. This is a special church. He says, I know. He says, I know. Firsthand, experiential. The Greek word there, gnosko, means I have experienced it. I'm not someone who's living on an ivory tower who's just speaking and, oh man, I I understand what you're feeling and, and has no idea. This is Jesus who knows. He says, I know your affliction because I've been afflicted. I've been rejected. I've been treated unfairly. They mock me. He said, and, and I know your poverty. See, he was born into poverty. He tasted poverty. He said, people say, hey, master, where are you going? He said, I got no place to lay my head. I got no place to call home. You know, I, I, I have tasted poverty and, and the shame of poverty and the embarrassment of poverty and, and all that comes with that and the fear of poverty. He says, I know your affliction and I know your poverty and yet I understand that you are rich. 
that you, Smyrna, understand that in spite of the fact that, that you're poor, in spite of the fact that you've been afflicted, you have a treasure that most people will never know. And in fact, your poverty and your affliction protect you from the foolish delusion of thinking you're rich here on earth and that being here rich on earth is what matters. He said, you're really in touch with the fact that you truly are rich because you have an inheritance that can never be taken away from you. He, he, he understands, they understand that when Jesus said, you know, don't store up treasure for yourself on earth. Well, why not? Well, because people steal it and it rots and, and it wears out and it gets old and it's unsatisfying. He said, instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And these are people who are doing that. He says, I know the slander that you experience. They said terrible things about Jesus. What did they say about Jesus? They said he was a fraud. He was a phony. They said he was crazy. They said he was a, a devil and that he did things based on the devil. He knows what it is to have people say false things about them. And early Christians understand this. One of the things that people don't understand about the early Christians is that they were so radically different than the other religions that people made up horrible things about them. So, so you would go to a Christian, one of these early Christians, you say, okay, all right, you got a new God, right? Well, yeah. So it's kind of like that. Well, well, where's your temple? We don't have a temple. What do you mean you don't have a temple? Where does your God live? What's your God do? Uh, uh, what's that about? Uh, we just don't have a temple. He's with us. He's in us. He lives inside us. Weird. Weird. Well, well when do you sacrifice? Well, we don't sacrifice. He, he was the sacrifice. He sacrificed for us. What? That's not right. You got to sacrifice. If you don't sacrifice, you're going to get your God, man. He's going to take you out and maybe take a couple of us with you. And, and our gods are going to get mad if you don't sacrifice. What are you doing? Because these people who used to sacrifice to our gods, they're, they're not sacrificing your God. You're going to mess up our city. So anytime there was a problem, it was Christians again not sacrificing. And, and, and they would say things like, you know, you guys are into weird stuff. Like, like what? Well, you're cannibals. What do you mean you're cannibals? You're talking about eating bread and blood and bodies. And what the heck is that? And you know what? You're a bunch of weirdo incest people. This is what they used to accuse them of. Because why? Well, because you call everybody brother and sister. And you call your wife brother and sister. What the heck is that? See, we're part of a bigger family. They, they would accuse them of things like poisoning wells. They actually accuse Christians of being atheists. That is to say, you are a non-theist. You don't believe in God. Well, why? Well, because you don't have a temple. You don't make sacrifices. This God of yours is unlike any God we've ever heard of. He does for you. He loves you. He sacrificed for you. That's crazy. And so they got slandered. They got misinterpreted. They got misrepresented. And, and, and they were accused of being a dangerous people and dangerous to your community. Don't let your kids around those Christians. Those Christians will mess up your kids. They were accused in, in some of the literature today of poisoning wells and spreading diseases. In one point, Rome, actually, the city of Rome was burning. And one of the things that actually was profound is that when Rome was burning, um, the Christians were, were accused of it and horrible persecution came. But later, when there was a plague in the city, the, the, the people were running out of the city. The Christians were running into the city to take care of the sick. And it was one of the, the major turning points in, in, in Christianity where people saw, I don't know about these Christians, they sure don't seem to understand what it means to have a God, but, but they sure seem to believe what they believe. So he says, I know your slander, and I know what it is. And, and when we're misrepresented, and people say terrible things about us, and it happens so minorly here in America, you know, but it does happen 
Jesus understands that. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. And so what was basically happening in Smyrna was a very strong Jewish community. And a lot of the Jewish people were becoming Christians, and they didn't like that. They felt threatened like that. So they started persecuting. They started getting the authorities uh, against them, and they would spread some of the slander. They say, they're atheists. They're not Jews. They're, they're, they're atheists, and, and they're terrible, and they have weird things. They're going to make the gods mad. And so they encouraged persecution, and they did it listen now, in the name of God. They did it in the name of God. I hope you realize that most religious persecution in the world, and and let me just give you a statistic that'll blow your mind. There are 5.5 billion people in the world, and 5.5 billion people, 77% of them live in some kind of situation. This is all races, all all religions. 77% of them live there in in, in a part of the world that because of their faith, they're disenfranchised and persecuted. They're put at at least a second-class tier, and, and worse than that, they're treated horribly, and almost all of it is done in the name of God. The exception of that is in the name of being an atheist. That is to say, the communist persecutions and, and those kinds of things. But here's the common denominator. The people who are doing the persecution, they are doing it because they think they're doing something good. And because they're doing something good, it justifies them doing this great evil. I, I want you to hear that. Because that can slip into our thinking. I mean, there was a a deranged person who, because he was so convinced of his political position this week, started sending bombs to people. We should be horrified by that. We should be amazed by it in our country. This is our country. We don't do that. We, We should be horrified when we see protests that are peaceful and appropriate become violent and People in mass. We should be horrified that last year at a softball game, one of our elected officials was shot. I mean, what's happening to us? It, and, and all of it is done by people who are filled with such a sense of righteous indignation and anger that they rationalize that this was somehow a good thing to do. And, and Christians have done it and others have done it. People have flying planes into trade towers because they believed this. You see, this is, this is a, a sickness and, and he calls it for what it is. He says, they say they're Jews, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. Whenever our hearts give ourselves permission to hate another group, whether it's politically or socially or genderly or racial or whatever, that has nothing to do with Jesus. That's the synagogue of Satan. We should call it out for what it is. And so his word of encouragement is, I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. And then the word of correction. Let me show you the word of correction for this church. There it is. See, this is the thing that's interesting about this pattern. Every other church has a strong word of correction except this word. Every other church has a word of correction except this church. And, you know, I thought about that a lot this week. And it just seems to me that when there are people who suffer for Christ in a real and profound way and choose love and compassion, it unites a person with Christ unlike anything else. It draws them in in a way that is just, it, it's holy, it's, it's amazing, it's, 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 it's powerful. I don't know if you've ever been around a person who has faced real and true persecution. I was just at a conference this weekend. There's a beautiful pastor from China who has spent time in prison because of his faith. He's now a political refugee in our country. And what did he do? He started landing here and started starting churches for the Chinese. Not out of, not out of bitterness or resentment. You know when they do church? They do it Monday. And they say, you know why? Well, because he's reaching the restaurant community. 
and just full of love and humility and wisdom. It was an honor just be around this person just so clearly in love and in touch with Jesus. See, the early Christians counted it a privilege to be persecuted. They, they recognized that they were suffering with Christ and that it was a high honor to be persecuted with Christ. But Peter and Paul were amazed that they were given the privilege. Others said, I'm not worthy to suffer with Christ because they recognized it united them with the suffering of Christ and, and united with them with Christ in a way that, that just blew their minds. And so there's no word of correction for this church, but there is a word of warning. There is a word of warning. He says, do not be afraid about what you are about to suffer. And sometimes the calling is to suffer. It's different times in different places in different ways. All of us suffer in some way, but, but this is the suffering of persecution. He says, there is suffering coming for you. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and he will test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And that 10 days is probably a symbolic thing. It probably represents 10 years and it probably, I don't have time to explain it, but it's probably a code that recognizes the 10 years of the rule of Nero which was a horrible emperor and terrible things that happened and, 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 and just a terrible time of historical persecution. He says to them, be faithful even to the point of death because waiting for you is this crown of life. He said, some of you will even, you know, face this thing of death, you know, uh, because that's the calling God has put in your time and your place. I mean, that's amazing things. That's, that's overwhelming in, in, in the understanding. You know, one of the things in the announcements you might have noticed uh, here, uh, we just got done, is that we got a baptism coming up. And a lot of people come to baptism and say, ah, I don't know, I need to do that. It's a good thing, a bad thing. Let me just clip everything you need to know about baptism, whether or not you've been baptized by immersion. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus commanded you to do it. And so obedience, that's really all you need to know. So you go to that baptism class, you find out. Now, say, why are you being so kind of hard nosed about that, Paul? Well, because for us in America, baptism is a little thing like, you know, it's to me, you're not sure. You know, I've been a Christian for a while. I want to be embarrassed or, or something like that. For people around the world to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ means you lose your family. They cut you off. It means you lose your job. In many places, they do it in secret, in hiding, because it means you lose your life. You say, come on, Paul, it's just overwhelming, and and we choose not to be aware of it. Um, We we could talk about even the images we've seen, the 21 Coptic Christians who were were kneeling by uh, the sea and ISIS literally cutting off their heads. That's the one we may know about. But but we need to understand that, that this year and every year for the last 10 or, 10 or so years and beyond that, there have been, listen now, 100,000 Christians killed in the world. Did you hear what I just said? 100,000 people who were killed because they were Christians. This happens in over 60 countries. Let me tell you about some of the ones that are the most difficult. There's Iraq. It's in the land of Eden, the land of, of Adam and Eve and Jonah and Daniel. Christians used to have 1.5 million, they're down to 300,000 now in that country in just a period of about 10 or 15 years. They're being massacred, and, and when the, the government left, the protections came, left, and it became a terrible thing. In Syria, Syria, of course, is that country that's in this horrible civil war, and, and the refugees run to the camps. Only 1% of the Syrian refugees in these camps 
are Christians. They are Christians because they, they plan to be Christians because they fear neg- negative repercussions from the Sunni refugees. And so the other refugees are identifying them and threatening their life. In fact, they make up 25% of that country, the Syrian country, and only 1% of them have made it to a safe place in the camps. In Iran, we, we, we know that the church in Iran is growing in spite of the fact of intense persecution. It's illegal to be a Christian. It is a capital offense to convert to Christianity in Iran and, by the way, Saudi Arabia. We're hearing a lot about Saudi Arabia in the news. These countries, it's a capital offense. If you go to Saudi Arabia as anybody and you carry a Bible into Saudi Arabia, they have a machine, they throw the Bible through and it's shredded. Okay, so, so that's just the way it is in Iran. In India, the rise of radical Hindu nationalist movement has led to brutal attacks on Christians, including many pastors, many nuns, and, and, and entire villages of people have been drawn out, uh, driven out. In Pakistan, Christians face a constant threat of mob violence due to blasphemy laws in which it can lead to a death sentence. And so if you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, well, then you are in danger of blasphemy laws. Some of the most profound persecution is in Africa and Sudan. Christians face death sentences for uh, apostasy. Um, There are multiple stories of people who have converted to Christianity and many times it's because they've had a dream and the dream was a dream of Jesus and it said tomorrow someone's going to come and tell you about me and sure enough the next day someone shows up and they hear and they become believers in Christ and then their lives are literally in danger. In Nigeria, some of the worst persecution is going on. There are hundreds of thousands of Christians right now in Nigeria facing massacre because of radical Islamic terror-based group called Boko Haram. The southern part of the country is Christian, the northern part is Muslim, and 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 going into churches and just wiping out. This is going on today. China, uh, again, this, this is weekend, speaking to a, a pastor who, who, who leads Chinese churches. Uh, Chinese government has imprisoned Christian human rights lawyers representing house churches and their leaders. And, and so there's an official church. If you're not part of the official church, uh, they, can, they can put you in jail. Uh, the pastor who we were speaking to, he did not share this story, but his sponsor in the country shared with me later that this is a man who spent a, a year in prison his house that he had paid for had been taken away his family was separated and eventually he just had to flee the country in North Korea tens of thousands of Christians are enslaved in labor camps we talk a lot about human trafficking in our church in many countries Christians are targeted for human trafficking simply because they are Christians in the Crimea in Russia only 1% of the Ukrainian religious organization succeeded in re-registering so when the Russians came in and took over Crimea Crimea, they outlawed any churches most of the churches and so right now there's severe persecution going on in these countries Uh, you've heard me talk now golly 15 years ago I was in the Middle East in the country of Yemen and, and, and spent so much time with people who were professing Christ and had to do it in secret because their lives would have been just forfeit. One particular memory I have was we were at um, um, some workers' homes and uh, we were having dinner together and the, the, the father quietly took me out and we went out to the shed and in the shed was a pastor's wife and his two children who were hiding out and who were living there. 
And, and they were the most loving, the most kind people. And as the interpreter told the story that they were running from one village to another where they hoped to reacquaint with some other Christians, um, they were just talking about their trust in God and their love for God. In, in Yemen and in the Middle East, the people are so hospitable. And so it's not uncommon if you're sitting next to another man for a man to just reach out and take your hand. It's a sign of solidarity and friendship. It's not uncommon for a man to lean up to another man just when you're having dinner. And, and, and this man held my hand for the longest time. This is a man who'd been imprisoned because of his faith. This is a man who continued to profess Christ and to preach Christ in in the most profound way, and and he did it because uh, he loved Jesus. You see, this is is the church of Smyrna. This is what it means to be be, um, a church that is persecuted. He goes on from this word of warning to an admonition to listen. He says, The one who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is something we don't want to hear. This is something we don't want to worry about. This is something we don't want to be aware of. This is something that we don't want to spend some of our time and our energy and our resource and our influence to to make better. But but persecution in this world is not an exception. It's actually the rule. It's actually the story of human beings. It is remarkably rare for people who get power to use that power justly for the benefit of all people. It's a remarkably rare thing in the history of the world. We're just kind of used to it. It's our expectations. Now, our politicians don't always live up to it, but we expect them to at least fake it, right? So we actually live in a pretty special place. And, And so this admonition to listen is powerful. The promise of reward is stunning. He says, the, the, the one who overcomes, and these are ones who seriously have to overcome, will not be hurt at all by the second death. You may experience the first death. You, you may go through a, a difficult death. You may profound, profound loss, but you, you, will, you will be saved from the second death. What is the second death? Well, it's eternal death. It's death forever. People think, well, I'll die. I'll just, it'll just be fine. I'll just go to sleep. It'll be gone. No, 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 no. When you die without Christ, you go to what's called eternal death. And it means you live with yourself and the worst parts of yourself for eternity. So all your anxiety goes with you, all your fear goes with you, all your loneliness goes with you. That Only the worst parts are left. He says the one who overcomes is spared from that. And that one is, is, is lifted up. In another part of the Revelations, he says they become pillars in the temple of our God. They get to gaze at God forever and for eternity, and, and they are held up in heaven as the great ones, as the ones who, who have been given the privilege and the honor to suffer with Christ. You see, this is a call for us to, to understand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. There's some questions we need to ask ourselves. The, the first question we need to ask ourselves just simply, will we be faithful under the minor persecution that we face here? I mean, in light of what our brothers and sisters face, you know, our, our culture strategy for making Western Christians, you know, back down is just a little bit of shame, a little bit of name-calling, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of awkwardness, and, and we just shrink back. We shrink back from our convictions. We shrink back from sharing Christ. Will we be people who recognize that, that the, the worst we tend to face is some ridicule and some mocking and some shame, and shame is into silence? And so, so, so will we be people who are faithful in the persecution? The second thing we want to ask is will we come alongside, you know, our brothers and sisters in solidarity 
who are being persecuted? Will we learn about them? Will we pray for them? This week's devotion is very powerful. It's about every day learning about a a place in the world where persecution is especially bad and making that an object of our prayer, that that I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray for this country. Whenever I watch the news and I hear about war in Syria, I, I pray for the Christians who are in Syria. Whenever I hear about Saudi Arabia in the news today and this and journalists and all that, I pray for the Christians in Saudi Arabia. Whenever I hear about, you know, Boko Haram and we don't even know what that is, well, that's a horrible terror group that's killing our brothers and sisters. I pray for our brothers and sisters. See, it changes our perspective. It reminds me of just the privilege. The last thing we have to ask ourselves, and this is, this, is, this is really important, my brothers and sisters, will we completely reject the synagogue of Satan? So what do you mean by that? Well, the synagogue of Satan is the synagogue that says, because I'm standing up for something right, I can do wrong. Because I'm the Christian who knows the truth, I can pick on people who I don't like. Because maybe they're the wrong political party, maybe they're the wrong religion, maybe the wrong gender, maybe they're, they're, they're different in terms of their understanding of, of, of gender and sexual identity and, and LGBT and all that kind of stuff. That because they're, they're wrong and I'm right, I, I can treat them with special disdain. And, and will, I, will I become the abuser? Will I become the bully? You see, here's the thing we need to understand. Again, it's Solzhenitsa. Inside every human heart is good and evil. And, and, and if you say, I would never be a persecutor, I'd never be a bully, don't be so sure. Just check your heart. And is there any part of you that has made some group, some people other? Now, now let me just say something about the election we're in. So this is me as your pastor trying to shepherd you in a time where we are losing our minds. Guard your heart from anger, from evil intent, from fear. Those are the synagogues of Satan. From false accusation, from looking for the worst in other people, from putting people in categories of evil and not praying. Guard your heart of fear and jealousy and self-pity and all those things that would divide us. Those are the weapons of the world. Those are the weapons of the enemy. They, they, they drive out life and they drive out love. And if you feel it, they will make you anxious and they will make you spiritually dead. So, so guard your heart. The, the second thing, just remember, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I would say, remember you're a citizen of heaven first. That your citizenship in America, it's precious, it's good. I'm gonna say something about that in just a minute. But, but here's the deal. Your first citizenship is in heaven. That's your eternal home. And so when you look at world situations, you don't look at it primarily as an American. and You look at it as a follower of Jesus Christ. You say, what would Jesus think about this? And how would Jesus vote? And what would Jesus want? And sometimes it's conflicted. I think Jesus is conflicted about a lot of these issues. I think that Jesus said, there's right and there's wrong. It's very complicated. I just wish my people would come together. And they'd find a best solution with a really ugly thing. Well, see, we need more people of goodwill, not less. So remember your citizen is in heaven. Third thing I just want to say is just love one another. For goodness sakes, let's quit assuming that the person who disagrees with us is evil. Let's quit doing that, okay? Let's quit calling them evil and, and listening to people who inflame the worst parts of us. The worst parts of us. And instead, let love. Now, the next thing I want to say and I want to say this is in a way of stewardship, is that we are ridiculously blessed to live in the country we live in. It is a gift. It is a remarkably rare thing in the history 
of the world today and remarkably, remarkably rare in the history of history. I mean, it just is an amazing thing that we're in a church and I, I, there's no one going to come and arrest me. I mean, th- there's no one who's going to come take me away. There's no one who's going to fire you because you're providing. I mean, that's a remarkable thing. There's no one religious group that can push down another group. You recognize our country was founded originally from people who were fleeing that kind of foolishness. And they came and said, you know, we didn't like it when someone did it to us. We shouldn't do it to anybody else. Let's make some, some, some principles, some laws that all people are created equal. Let's do a bill of rights and make freedom of religion of all religions. Just this, the thing with, this is a great thing. And so we've got to guard that trust as Americans. So, so hear me say, vote. It is an issue of stewardship. It is an issue of trust. Now don't vote angry. Don't get ugly, but vote. Get involved politically. Don't do it ugly. Don't do it angry. Do it in love. Do it with righteousness. Do it with compassion. Do it with, 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 with the heart of Christ. Get involved. Uh, vote as a Christian. The, the, the way that you think Christ would follow your convictions. The, the Christian voice needs to be heard. It needs to be represented. Vote for justice for the oppressed. Vote for rule of law. Vote for opportunities for the poor and the oppressed. Vote for life, for goodness sakes, and the profession protection of the unborn. See, we need to be involved. Some of you are actually called to be involved more than others. Some of you may be called to run for political office. I tell you what, if there's a group of people you want to pray for right now, it's people running for office. Because people are showing up and doing physical violence. We need to pray that courageous people are not driven out of the process because of this. We need to pray for people who are running for political office. Christians who will be the best examples of Christ getting involved. If you protest and you're convicted to do that, do it, but do it with integrity. Do it peacefully. Do it wisely. And the last thing we need to do, and this is a command from Christ, we need to pray. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our elected officials, even the one we didn't vote for. And expect God in his mercy to do something miraculous. Because really, what happens in America is miraculous. It's a beautiful thing. Please, I understand there's crimes, there's difficulties. But those are the human story. The fact that we are on a journey as a nation of rising above that is amazing. And and we should fight for that and we should work for that. and, And we should thank God that we have it. And so there's several steps you can take. First one is pray, is vote for the nation. Second one is take this devotion this week and learn about the persecuted church. You don't have to Google much to find more than you'll be blown away, how people live. And, and maybe for you, it's a thing about baptism. You realize, wow, I've made baptism an optional thing. There are people who are risking their lives to take this step of obedience. It's time for me to take that step of obedience as well. And so there are steps that you can take. I'm gonna end my time um, by leading us in a word of prayer about all these things we've discussed today. Father, this is a heavy topic, and this is, um, this is overwhelming for us all. And so whenever we look at something like this, we just want to come back, and we just want to just spiritually fall on our knees before you and say, help us. Father, forgive us for those times in our life where we've embraced anger and resentment and fear, when we've been part of the problem. Forgive us for those times that we can just say it, Father, We've been like the bully. We've been like the oppressor. We've been part of the synagogue of Satan. Forgive us for that, whether it be politics or race or gender or or, or whatever, God. Forgive us for that. Father God, we would just pray in Jesus' name that you would help us embrace our citizenship of heaven 
and live even as citizens of this country, first as citizens of heaven, and that as we go into this political season, we may do so with love, we may do so with righteousness, we may be involved as we should, but we would be different as we get involved. Father God, I would pray for a miracle of healing in our country. I would pray for leaders, leaders that we don't deserve, but leaders we need. Leaders who will work in reconciliation and peace and will come together and build on common values and and, and God, just have mercy on us. We just need your mercy right now. Father God, I would just pray in Jesus' name for our brothers and sisters all over the world who are being persecuted. People who will meet this weekend in secret because they can't meet in public. People right now who are in jail or disenfranchised or who've been sold into slavery because of your name. Father God, we would just pray that you would strengthen them. You would help them to be faithful. You would help them to hear your promise that you are with them, that you have suffered and you suffer now with them. We pray, Father, for greater justice in the world, greater peace in this world, greater freedom in this world. We pray, Father God, that you would just bring it in your name and your time. Father God, we pray for our current leaders. We would pray, Father, that you'd bless them, you'd give them wisdom, you'd give them the character of Christ. You would, you would, you would bring them to the end of themselves. You say in your word, Father, that the hand of the king is in the heart of the Lord. And so, God, we'd pray you'd change hearts. And you either bring a mercy in all of us. Challenge us with this great, this great church Smyrna that we would see, Father, just things in a different way than maybe we ever had before and bring the healing in us individually and as your community and indeed as your entire church. In Jesus' name, amen.